bloody business. Welcome to this bloody business. I'm your host, indie filmmaker Andrew Johnson Schmidt. Each episode, we talk to the creative people behind the movies that make us scream in terror and delight. From the best boy to the final girl, these are the people who bring our nightmares to life. On tonight's episode, we're talking with British underground horror filmmaker Jason Davitt, who didn't wait for someone to greenlight his LGBTQ horror movie. Instead, his bootstrap productions have led to both TV and films. So let's find out how he did it and what it's like to be an underground horror filmmaker in the UK. Here's my conversation with Jason Davitt. Okay, I want to welcome to the show Jason Davitt, uh, indie horror filmmaker from the UK. Well, welcome to the show, Jason. Oh, thank you very much, Andrew. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Brilliant. Thank you. Now I've got an extra load of hyphens so we can list all of your job duties in film. There's writer, director, producer. What comes after correct, that? Yeah. Editor, um, SFX makeup, uh, um, SFX basics, SFX, um, everything from lighting, you name it. When you're an indie filmmaker, you've got to do it. It's, it's the only way you're going to get a movie made for the budget that you usually have to deal with. So, and When I think of you, that's actually what I think about, because as you know, the coffee houses are filled with people, or after the pandemic, the coffee houses will be filled with people who've got a brilliant idea for an indie horror film, but they just don't quite get them made. If only someone will stick money up their ass then they can make a exactly. movie. Yeah. But that's not exactly. you, Jason, man. You're you're all pedal to the metal here. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's it's I, I suppose a lot of it is has been luck. Um, but uh, I literally we normally people start off and they will make short movies and things like that and they go forwards. I think it was just sheer ignorance that made me just throw myself in the deep end. And the first thing I ever did was a TV show, which actually I don't know even how it happened, but it got snapped up by uh, satellite sky, sky television. And um, I think it was, um, I think it was seen. Um, at a, we did a, a few showings and I think I was just very, very lucky that there was someone from uh, channel two or one on sky that actually saw it. And I think what they described that, that they said, yeah, they could see it was a low budget, but there was a lot of heart in it. And I think that's what sold it to them. So, what I ended up doing was it was, it was like a marathon. I mean, now when I look back on it, because I've got the more knowledge, I wouldn't be able to do it. But back then it was sheer ignorance that made it possible for me to do things. So what we would do, we would film an episode from Friday through to Sunday. I would then edit it, get it all ready, literally not sleep for three days, jump on the train down from North 
North uh, UK down to London, get off the train. And literally people must have thought I was drunk because I would be staggering down the thing with this, with the, the mini, the mini disc in my hand straight to the studio, give it to the studio. And they would show it that night. And we did that every single week. That's crazy. <laughs> it was insane. It was insane. Now I wouldn't be able to do it because the, the onus would be there, but it was literally, you know, ignorance makes you believe you can do an awful lot. And it was just sheer ignorance made it possible. How long, how long, how long were the episodes and how many of them were there? Um, there were, there were eight, eight episodes and they were um, around about half, uh, half an hour each. Well, wow. obviously, you know, footage, footage wise, <laughs> you know, you, you get about, I think it's about two minutes usable footage a day, but we were breaking records. We were doing like seven minutes a day to get it done. And it was like, and that's also included doing the special effects, doing the makeup, doing the CGI afterwards. So that's probably the reason why the CGI is so crappy. <laughs> it's the actual thing. <laughs> and the thing is, I completely did it without any training whatsoever. I've got no training, no background whatsoever. Um, I literally... I've always been into movies. Um, I've always, especially horror. Um, I've always been into things like that. And um, I mean, yes, I've been on stage. I've done things like that where I've, I've acted on stage and I've done, uh, you know, directed a few performances in my time through school, through into young adulthood and things like that. But it was literally, um, I was speaking to a friend of mine um, who was a director and a Fiona Mize, And uh, I uh, literally just said, oh, I've got this idea. I want to do that. She went, do it, just do it. She says, you hear about people who say, oh, I'm going to write a script. She says, do it. And she says, but my advice to you is don't read your script. Don't tell anyone about it. Finish it. Once you finish it, then you can go back and correct it. And that's the best advice I've ever, ever had said to me. And that's the reason why I get scripts done. And that's the reason why I get things done. Because most people, you hear about them, you'll see, that, oh, I'm writing a script for a movie, da, da, da. three years down the line, they're still writing a script for a movie. It's not happened. The only thing is, is just do it. It's get off your ass. And do it. That's my that's my philosophy. Well, and I mean, I did you're, <laughs> you're smart because I mean, it really is a numbers game, right? There's all oh, the di- yes, different things that can make a production better or worse. Half of them you don't have any control over, you know. Uh, so it's it's literally the per- you're playing the percentages when you make a film. Definitely, definitely, and the film is never finished; it's always abandoned. Um, <laughs> Slip, slipping in a Yates reference. Good work, my yeah, friend. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it, it, it's so true, though. It, it's, you know, like any artist, because you are an artist when you, you do something like this, any artist is never satisfied. And you will always find things you want to tweak. You'll always find things you want to do. And in the end, you've just got to learn to let go. And I mean, obviously, I mean, I, you know, because I'm a massive fan of a lot of films, I was looking at my work and I was thinking, oh my God, this is crap. <laughs> but, but I've got I've got to get it out there. And I think, obviously, because I was on the deadline, I think that made me, made me finish it and made me actually go ahead with it and push it out there. So I, I think that's what did it. And then again, look again, um, the head of Peccadillo Pictures um, saw the TV series and then approached me and said, look, would you like to edit it down into a movie? And I was like, oof, you know, how long do you want the movie to be? And he said, well, at a push, two hours, at a push. So I had to literally cut out two hours of a story. And the thing is, when you know yourself, when you do a series, the pacing and everything is different. So in my opinion, one of my biggest criticisms of, of my first film was the pacing was not correct. It was it, The pacing was for a TV series. It wasn't for a movie. So even though I managed to cut it down and edit it, it still lacked that sharpness that you would have in an actual you know, movie, basically. Uh, you know, it makes me think of uh, with Mulholland Drive, 
he was kicking yes. it up from a, a pilot to a feature. And then, yeah. as you know, it's easy to vamp and get yourself all the way up to the length of a feature, but to cut down, that's a lot harder. Especially if you're the writer and the director, um, it's like you're, it's like you're, you're, you're just like dissecting your own baby. You know what I mean? It's like cut an arm off, cut a leg off. And, and it's so hard to do because you're in love with the characters. You're in love with what you've written. And I think, I mean, that's, that, that's the thing for me. Um, the biggest thing for me about filmmaking is seeing it come alive seeing the characters come alive, see, see it literally. And I was very, very fortunate that we managed to have premieres in cinemas. So uh, I got to see it on the big, big screen. And it, it was just amazing to see it. it. It was just fantastic to see these, these, these people, these beings, obviously the vampires and all sorts uh, that I had in my head uh, suddenly come alive on the big screen in front of me. Uh, and to me, that, that was worth it in itself, you know, so... But but uh, how was the reaction from the audience? Did they tell you anything that you didn't know already yes. about that? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I was really shocked because, <laughs> as you as you know, as I said before, you're always very very critical of your own work. Um, so I was sitting there cringing, thinking, "Oh my god, that's bad. Oh, this is bad. I would have done this shot better, or I would have got the actors to do that slightly different." But again, it was all time. It's, you're, you've always, you're always against time, especially. I mean, every film's against time, but but especially when you're in the indie market because you work with such a small budget. I mean, I, when when we took um, the first film, uh, Vampires: Brighter in Darkness, when we took that to the Iris Film Awards, it was actually um, voted out of I think over. 300 and odd feature films into the top five films that they, they, they showed. And, um, when, when we were there, I was there and I was up against like people that had made films for a million, for 2 million. And they were turning around to me and say, Oh, how did, how much? And this was from all around the world. And they would say, Oh, how much did your film cost? I went 25,000. They went, you couldn't have made it for 25,000. I went, I did make it for 25,000. That's 25,000 pounds. So that's probably around about 32, $33,000. So, um, you know, it's it's like they didn't believe me. They literally thought I was lying, and I was like, "Look, that that's all I had. That's all I managed to do, and that was paying actors. That was everything." The two I mean, questions, ha- <laughs> the two God. questions you get hit with in the festivals that drive me bonkers. The first one is, "How much did you make it for?" Because it's yeah. it's it's a trick question because if you name a number that's small, now you've made a lesser film. But if you yes, exactly. put one that's a big number, people are like, well, I didn't see that on the screen. Yeah, I mean, it is it is mad. It, it's madness, and it's like cause I said, the, the amount of disbelief when I was actually trying to explain to them, and I was saying, well, you know, it helped the fact that I did like eight jobs on the movie myself, and, and I wasn't paid. <laughs> so you know, it literally that does help. But um, I think the thing is again, it's all down to what you're willing to to do. And, and also what was really, really good is I, I managed to, because I'm very good friends with um, the Heritage Society uh, around where, where I live. And uh, where, where I live, we actually live inside a Roman fortress. Uh, the, 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 the place is amazing. So everywhere is Gothic. There's castles just over the border in Wales. We've got mountains, we've got everything. So some of the scenes in it, which looked like I would have had massive production value, it was all free. Uh, because the good thing in the UK um, is that Unless, uh, you, you, unless you are creating um, an obstruction, you can film anywhere for free. What? Anywhere. You don't what? have. Yes. This, yeah, this is what people don't realize. But if you actually go to a local council of a city or anything and tell them you're filming, they will charge you. But by law, you do not 
have to do that and you do not have to get charged to actually you can film for free so it is it is i think it's slightly different in scotland i think they've suddenly brought out a new law but in england and wales yeah england and wales um it, you can film anywhere for free as long as you well, i can i can tell you that the, <laughs> yeah yeah the production value of those castle sets was striking especially with the I remember the scene that you shot with the uh, torch. Uh, the oh, yeah. <laughs> we had some problems with it. I literally off camera, off camera I've got the most amazing parents in the world. Off camera, I had my mum and dad making torches because the torches would only last so long. <laughs> so they were making <laughs> they were making torches out of rolled up socks with. Cotton, cotton wool, I think that's what you call it in the US. Cotton wool stuffed inside the socks, soaked in um, gasoline. And literally, the poor actors were having <laughs> these things burning in the house and it would, the fire was dripping down. So we were nearly setting the actors on fire at the same time just to get the scene. But it worked. So if you <laughs> so. folks, if you want to see a vampire movie uh, uh, with burning socks, uh, then <laughs> Vampires Brighter in Darkness, that's your film. Very Burning nice. socks with jocks. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, no, I want to ask you about that because one of the things that uh, really is, is is different about your films is that you your romance is so mm. so striking in your films because there are horror films. You know, you got vampires, you yes. got yeah. you got uh, uh, werewolves in in your different films, but the romance yes. is so strong. Uh, what is that always the case with you? Do you wrap the two of them together in your mind? Um, I think, uh, yeah. To be honest, I think I think I might have been extremely influenced by Del Toro, um, in so much as I create an adult fairy tale. Um, so there is always a romantic element within a fairy tale, um, even if it's horrific. You know, even if there's a horror uh, horror link. And the thing is with it as well, with it being. Um, what I wanted to do, I mean, the, the actual, I just remember now the actual drive, which made me um, originally write um, the first Vampires Brighter in Darkness was seeing the Twilight movie, the first mm. one. And I thought, and what annoyed me about it was there wasn't one single gay character. There were students in the thing. I mean, there wasn't one single openly gay character and they could have, they could have so hit the market with that. So what I thought to myself, right, I'm sick to death of gay films where, it's always about coming out the closet or something like that. I, I'm fed up of seeing I've, I mean, yes, people have a story to tell and I can understand that. But what I wanted to do, I wanted to make a film about vampires, but where it just so happened that the two main characters were gay, were two men. And that's what I tried to get over, that I didn't want it to be an issue. I didn't want it to be the central factor that, oh, they're gay and they're dealing with... No, I didn't want that. I just wanted that to be just a factor, but the story to be about demons and vampires and things like that. And that's what I tried to do. And I must have been not, not being, uh, trying to be modest, but I, I, that's a compliment that I had made to me at the festivals. They said that it was refreshing to see that, to not see the usual gay storyline and things like that where it was just a matter of fact it was it was a like a almost a mainstream theme but you just so happened to have two guys that were fall, fell in love and one was immortal a vampire so you know well i think that the the that's part of the romance for me is that it's it's a fresh romance to a lot of mainstream audiences and so while they're busy wrapping their head around that vampires you know, it's, yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> their head is juggling all these different new <laughs> sensations. 
Definitely, yeah. And vampires that hiss a lot. <laughs> That's my biggest criticism about my film. There's too much hissing. <laughs> I mean, in the in the actual series, in the, in the TV series, it actually explains that they're part demon. So when they get angry, the demon comes out, but that isn't obviously explained in the movie. That's the problem. So there's a lot cut out. But <laughs> so there was a reason for all that hissing. Trust me. There was. <laughs> and was was it all production audio hissing, or had you sweetened it in post? And now you're like, oh, why did oh, I do that? And um, well, they were moving the mouths with a bit of hissing, but then I, I dubbed over it. You know. <laughs> And now, I know I'd like probably cut out about ninety percent of it, but <laughs> after all that work, right? After all that work, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's interesting. You were talking about Twilight. Statistically speaking, we know that a certain percentage of those actors playing straight, you know, vampires, straight mortals, whatever, were gay. Exactly. Yeah. How strange yeah. to be playing someone who's playing someone who's playing something. Ex- yeah, exactly. That, that's it. But the strange thing is the two male actors who play the two gay vampires were straight <laughs> in my movie. Taking, so taking work, taking work away from gay vampires <laughs> everywhere. I know. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be coming out the coffins. <laughs> awesome. So you were talking about that you'd had no training prior to, so no film school and that no kind of thing. But nope. what no was your entry then? I mean, did you get your hands on a camera and just say, I'm doing this or... Or yep, exactly. Interesting. I mean, I mean, the thing is as well. What I've always done. I mean, as I said, I, I, I've I've done a lot of stage work, um, as in acted on stage myself and things like that, and directed a few, you know, plays during my teenage years and up, up to my, you know, my early twenties. But um, the thing is, is um, how can I put it? I suppose I get a lot of my. Uh, <sighs> techniques obviously from being such a massive horror film buff um all my life from the first moment i can remember uh, i've got this i've got the most amazing parents and they allowed me to watch horror films under their supervision um so it was it, i think it's coming from a, a catholic irish catholic background <laughs> it does that you you're allowed to, you're allowed to watch people killing each other but sex Ooh, you're not sure of that. But <laughs> so they would vet which horror films I watched, and as long as as long as it was monsters or anything like that, they let me watch it. If there was anything sexual, no, I wasn't allowed to watch it. But it, it did sort of like influence me tremendously. And I've always—I mean, I'm a natural artist anyway, so I've always been artistic, and um, I've always. Um, messed around with makeup, uh, puppetry, ventriloquism, things like that. So, I mean, I'm actually in a room now where I'm, you can't really see because there's a green screen behind me, but um, I'm actually surrounded by over 300 puppets here. So, um, <laughs> which is for a future movie. Yeah, it's for a future movie that's going to be very similar to Dark Crystal, uh, you know, things like that. Wow. So, um, well, yeah, ambition, so ambition, <laughs> is, ambition is something that I put together in my head with your filmmaking because... You're not a, you're not, you don't seem like a lad who's like, well, uh, that that's a little too much. That's over the line. I'm just going to make something with two people talking about their feelings. Yeah. I think, I think um, that's part of the failing as well. I think of the movies um, is I try to do too much with so little. Mm. And so I think, yeah, it's like I had the idea of a blockbuster multi-million pound movie, but obviously I couldn't get all of the money. So the ideas are there, but obviously they're not executed well. Plus, again, I had no training. So the CGI in the movies isn't brilliant. Um, the makeup isn't that good. Um, but I had to do it all myself. So 
So is your thought to just keep working, getting better incrementally and let, as you're describing the, the production challenges, you know, get solved, you know, with the yes. next one. Yeah. Well, this is the good thing. I mean, in a way, these movies have become a stepping stone for me because I've now gone into partnership with the amazing producer and writer, Brian Patrick O'Toole. Um, Brian! Amazing so, yeah, yeah, Brian. <laughs> yeah. So um, he's here now uh, in the UK and we're going to be um, doing some work together and literally you know, moving forward with a new studio. So he, he's obviously going to be getting the bigger budgets in Farmy to be able to make what I want, to be able to make the dreams that I've got to make them, to make them happy, you know, happen. And I'm very honored that he actually did. It was his decision. He, he uh, rooted me out and um, saw my films and said, thought, well, this guy just needs more money. <laughs> Simply. And that's it. Uh, but yeah. he's a great guy. He's an amazing guy, Brian. Yeah. So I've got Brian behind me now. Would you say that your films are in the same verse? Are they all, taking place in the same universe or do you have separate stories going on? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously the vampire, cause I, I did uh, the follow up to bright between darkness, which was Lucas rising. Uh, that follows directly on from uh, the first film. Um, and we've got the third film that we're going to be uh, doing it obviously with a bigger budget, but it's going to be a standalone movie where you wouldn't need to have watched the two first two films. It sums them up very quickly and then carries on with the storyline. Um, so, um, yeah, I'd say the vampire films are. Uh, the Lonely Moon, which was the short werewolf film that I did, um, there's hints in the background that there could possibly be a link with it. Because the thing is, is they always say, write about what you know. And people are going to think this is a bit strange, vampires have that. But the, the weird thing is, and this is the strange thing, um, for 30 years of my life, I was actually a full-time professional psychic. Um, and I was actually, wow. from the age of four... I, yeah, well, from the age of four, I was initiated into witchcraft. So I was, I was actually brought up by witches. So literally, I, I, what I write about is the knowledge that I've obviously gained through the years and years and years of study and development and things like that. So that's why they always say the best thing to do is always write about what you know. Um, don't write outside of your, your knowledge. And this is what I try to do with the vampires. That's why the vampires in my films, you know, you can see the reflection. Uh, they're not affected by sunlight and things like that. So it's all based upon occult ideas of vampires, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah. um, so that's what basically, basically did. So I suppose that, that would then link them universe wise to the similar laws, the similar um, ideas behind uh, the films. So, but there's a lot more, we've got a heck of a lot planned. So. Well, I was thinking about that when I was watching your werewolf short, lonely moon from uh, 2017, yeah. when the guy goes into his bedroom and on the wall, there's a poster for uh, one of the other films. I mean, as a filmmaker myself, <laughs> I give props to that. You know, when you can give your own shout yeah. out, why not? That's, that's why I thought to myself, let's, yeah, why not? Let's put that up on the phone. <laughs> and the thing is what I wanted to do again, um, I wanted to hint um, that he was gay, but I didn't want to make it like a ma major storyline. So there's such a like, ideas that there, he is gay, but it's never once mentioned. Uh, there's sort of like, even with the other guy that he befriends in the gym, in the storyline, you can see there's a chemistry there. There's an interest, but as, as you quite often find in life, you know, it's only until you break that barrier that people actually realize or the, you know, they actually open up about the sexuality. And the thing is, well, again, what I wanted to show in, in, in the Lonely Moon storyline was that he was obviously dealing with his sexuality, but he was also dealing with the fact that he was a werewolf. Uh, and from a family of werewolves, as you find out, as you go through, you know, so, um, and I, I, I like, I, sometimes I hate the idea of like tying a film completely up because 
that's why I left the, the ending slightly open where it was like, there's the, so people could, you know, it could open it up for me to make another film or whatever, or even expand it to make a feature film. So I, I always like um, to leave things slightly, a little bit loose, not tied up too much. Well, I mean, let me ask the second question that I find most odious at film festivals uh, about your gear. Are you a dedicated uh, certain kind of camera person or do you play with what you can um, afford? Well, yeah, I mean, as, as, as an indie filmmaker, yeah. Um, yeah, what you can, what you can afford. I mean, my husband, John, he, he's amazing. He, he just bought me this amazing, uh, Sony, what is it now? Sony R2S or something, that camera about the best camera I've ever had. And the picture quality is out of this world. It's like phenomenal. So I've been messing around with that lately, um, and doing all that, but I'm also working on an anime. I do also, I'm working on an animated feature as well, a cartoon, um, which, uh, that feature again, a feature, uh, but again, I'm totally animating it all myself. Um, I've the, the programs I'm using, you can, when you speak into it, it can actually move the mouth of the characters. So what I'm doing is um, I'm obviously doing the, the dialogue, but then I'll actually have actors do ADR afterwards, you know, to do voiceovers. Um, so I'm working on that. And again, that that's, that's got a gay theme to it. And that's called the Wolf Prince, which again is um, quite unusual, quite an unusual story, but it's, it's got sort of like a very much a fairy tale horrific as well in places things so it's like a horror animated movie so that's being done at the moment but i probably because i'm doing it all myself it probably would be about another year before it's finished so so i have to ask this i mean the things that are common threads running through all your film work and your tv work obviously yeah. there's the horror aspects the supernatural uh lgbtq but there's one thread uh, and it's the fact that you do so much yourself and as you know, uh, the, with a lot of indie filmmakers, they're busy trying to find other people to carry the load part, you know, that they don't Actually, want yeah. to or can't carry themselves. And that doesn't seem to be your mode. What keeps you the lone wolf, as it were? Uh, control freak. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, that as well. But the thing is, 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 is one good thing is um, I now know... I mean, obviously, when I go forwards, now that I'm obviously going to be making movies with Brian, um, as we go forwards, um, we're good, I'm going to have a full crew. I'm going to have you know people working with me. But the good thing is, if if anyone lets us down, I know I can jump in. Mm. So that's a massive, massive safety net, and also it's an awful lot of stress off my head that I know I can cover things if things go wrong. So you know, gotcha. probably not as good as people that are you know that are versed in it and that have an education in it, but at least it means I can I can. I can wig it if I have to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, as a director, when you're working with your actors, again, as being self-taught, how do you, how do you handle your uh, direction? How do you, a, a lot of people outside of filmmaking think of actors, uh, if they don't think of them as just making up the words themselves, they think of them as barking out the lines from the script when prompted uh, but a lot of actors take a lot of different paths to the performance. How do you do it? Well, well the way I do it, I, I think a lot of it is, is achieved in casting. Um, it's, it's, it's the, cause obviously I did the casting myself as well. So, um, because I've got the idea of what the character is going to be like. And, uh, and the thing is as well, I've always, I've always been self-employed. So I've always had my own businesses. So I've always employed people. So it, that helps you to be a good judge of character of the people that you're going to employ. So when I've done auditions with actors, I immediately know what I want from that actor. And 
if they if they meet that criteria, then it, you've you've got like eighty percent of the battle won because you know they're going to be able to perform on camera. And I always, whenever I do an audition, I always film all my auditions, always, because immediately, even in the audition, it's it's you've got you've got a blueprint there. You you can see how they come over on camera. Uh, and because some people, I mean, uh, we did have one one um, actress, amazing, absolutely amazing off camera. As soon as you put the camera on her, she forgot all her lines. Yep. <laughs> and you will. So, I have been so to that circus. About, <laughs> exactly. And you say, yeah, absolutely. A fantastic actress. Amazing actress. Uh, and then camera on them. Poof, they go dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's why I always, always have, I always film all my auditions. Always. Yeah. I always tell people on my sets that the smartest person in the room is the camera. The rest of us are just trying to oh, do yeah. it, yes. but the camera yeah. knows. Yeah, it certainly uh, does. It certainly does. Definitely. <laughs> um, so in terms of your effects, you talked about being self-taught. Uh, where are you pulling your information yes. now? Are you pulling off of YouTube or do you have other sources for the information? I, no, I, I mean, the thing is, again, because I've always watched so many movies, um, I've seen the effects in movies and then literally I just looked up which were the best programs that I could afford, which uh, I think I used the most of the program I used was uh, real illusion hit, hit four, hit, 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 um, hit, hit film four, uh, hit film pro. Sorry. And, um, I just taught myself. I literally did all the tutorials I put myself on a crash course and literally taught myself as I was filming. So as I was going along, I would sort of like think, right, right. How do I do this? And like, look at what the program was capable of. And then sort of like think to myself, great, I'll do it that way. I mean, I tried my best to do as many practical on camera um, effects as possible. I mean, th- th- this is my thing is, is I, um, I'm not a massive fan of CGI, even though I had to use a lot of CGI in my films because I couldn't afford anything else. Even though I did, especially in London Moon, um, I used a heck of a lot of prosthetics that I did all myself. Um, but it was... Um, and how did you learn to do those prosthetics? Because that's an art. Literally, um, from growing up as a kid loving Halloween. Ah, <laughs> doing all I, I would I would spend hours before going to a, um, a fancy dress party or something like that I would literally spend hours but it helps the fact that my mum was a hairdresser and did makeup so she taught me how to do hair she taught me to, and she used to help me out to things it's just learning through the years and years and years and years of doing it and it, it's just going ahead and again it's all a matter of getting off your backside and doing something it's the only way you're ever going to learn on job learning is a lot I find is a lot better than um, even going to a course, sitting down, sitting down in this class, I, you know, to throw yourself in the deep end, it forces you to have to do things simple as that. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so uh, let's, let's think how to approach this. Um, let's talk about your oeuvre, if we will, the uh, films that you've got list uh, like your to- what you would consider the canon of uh, Jason DeVitt. Ooh, goodness me. Um, so basically what, yeah, which I was think was, would be my, my favorite film that I've made. Is that what you're trying to say? All of them, all of them, because you have, you yeah. have here and there. 
Yeah, um, I mean, originally the the, the 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 film that there was a film that's been made in the background of all the other movies, which is Witchwide, which is what's going to be coming out. And to be, to be honest, to me, that is my favourite of all the films I've made. But that's not come out yet. Um, there's so much in it; it's unbelievable. It's it's literally the story is very very quickly. I'll explain it. The story is all about uh, this young lad that discovers that he's the heir um, to this sacred book of magic called the Grand Grimoire. And what he finds out is his ancestor created it by cutting um, pieces of his own flesh to make the book. So the book's actually alive. And in it is literally written the power of creation. So every demon, angel, God, whatever, worth his salt is after this book. So what happened was it sets off in medieval times and he made the book vanish and he has a, a, a servant with him who's the angel Uriel. And Uriel takes the book and then when... Um, it's called Jason. When Jason Witchward is actually born, uh, he watches him, and as he gets, uh, as he comes of age, when he's twenty, when he's uh, eighteen, sorry, when he's eighteen, he's then presented the book, and that awakens the power inside him. So, and then all of a sudden, as soon as he awakes, awakes, it sends off this ripple, and then every demon, angel, and everything knows that this book's come back into the into the fold. So they try to get the book. So that's that. But it's, it's such an exciting movie because it spans literally three hundred years. For it's like 400 years, um, so there's a lot going on in that, and I uh, can't wait for that to come out. Uh, but obviously, then the, the, the first thing I made was Vampires Bright in Darkness, then it was Vampires Lucas Rising, um, and then we're going forwards with a third movie. And then we also have Luke, uh, then there was uh, Lonely Moon, there's a puppet boy, boy, boy meets puppet, boy falls in love with puppet called No Strings Attached. That's quite funny. That's a comedy, actually. It's a com- that's actually a comedy, there's no horror in that, so I actually did a comedy there. Um, and uh, we've got a few other things planned as well, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, one which is um, uh, very much Conan the Barbarian type film called uh, Blood and Fire. That's going to be going into production. And um, there's two other films that um, Brian has written one and I wrote the other. Uh, one is called Fract, uh, which is all about these paras- pa- um, prehistoric parasites that get woken up uh, whilst they're doing a fracking into the ground. So they come up and obviously start killing people. Very much a creature feature. It's, it is brilliant. It's a brilliant story. And then I wrote uh, the other film we're going to be doing. Uh, I wrote a film called Hexpress, which is all about um, a medieval witch that is buried alive. And then she's dug up at a uh, archaeological uh, dig in the 1930s. Um, so it's a combination. It's, it's very, very Indiana Jones meets the conjuring type thing um so you've got um, an archaeologist who's very much like um indiana jones and you've got nazis in it uh, that are after um basically after the power of the um mummified corpse of the witch but there's all sorts of going on and it all takes place on the train hence it's called x express so we're actually hiring which i'm so so um happy that we've managed to we've managed to get this we're actually hiring a steam train that actually has its own private track and we're going to be filming the whole thing on this so it's going to have some amazing production value so i'm looking forward to that yeah no, no kidding. So that's basically it, but there's a lot more. Yeah, there's so many things coming up. Well, now let me ask uh, you this. Uh, yes, there's, we've got a heck of a lot planned. There's a lot of filmmakers listening to this who they know their development, they know their pre-production and their production, and post-production can be a little hazy sometimes, but they can wrap their arms around it. But pass that into distribution, it's Here Be Dragons. Uh, people yes. frequently don't know... What's your approach to finding distribution for them once you get them done? Um, again, um, all I can say is a lot of luck. There was a lot of luck involved. Um, the right people sold my films. Um, cause it, th- th- there's, there's an amazing story because, um, 
uh, the the he- it was the head of Peccadillo, um, literally came across my film, and he's the people that worked for him. Um, had just like put it to one side. It's like, oh no, we're, we're not in. You know, I don't think it's any good for his anything like that. But Tom Abel, um, he was the head of Peccadillo. He actually saw it, and for some reason, he said it just spoke out to him. He just spoke out to it to him, and he immediately turned around and he was like, no, I want us to distribute this movie. So again, it was luck. And then there was um, Aristical Entertainment. They they took on the uh, second film. Uh, but now, obviously, with myself um, linking up with Brian O'Toole, um, he has direct connections now with distribution companies. So we have um, uh, an awful lot of very strong connections uh, with promises of distribution, which is really, really good. So, so again, your, it's luck. A lot of it is luck. <laughs> when you're saying luck, on your first two, did you just blindly send out uh, screeners or...? I, I no uh, the, the the first the first film as i say it was it was seen uh, at a festival as a tv series and then ah. it was shown on the on the on the tv and that was when it was then seen by the um the distribution company and they saw there was something about it that they liked and then it then they, they asked me to make it into a movie and then from then on because it, i think we ended up with worldwide we had over 2 million fans i don't know wow. why I, mean, I don't know why i, I was like did he like shit? <laughs> but and, and a tremendous amount of people are massive fans of it in countries where the film's actually banned. So in um, Saudi Arabia, in um, India, um, all these countries, the film is not allowed in there because obviously because of its content, because of being openly gay and things like that. And yet he has a massive following there. And plus South America. So yeah. it's, it's massive in South America. So... I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it was that was my influence of Delta. I don't know. <laughs> I've 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 done uh, uh, Facebook ads for movies that we're doing, and uh, I'm always ple- shocked, pleasantly surprised by where they do really well. When people are clicking and watching it, and and uh, exactly. you look at the demographics. And uh, before you know Facebook ads and Google ads, we didn't know the demographics. But now when you see them, you're like, middle-aged women in Texas? What? Exactly. But the thing is, you know, the, the most annoying thing is, is if every person that saw my movies actually paid for them, <laughs> I'd be, I'd have enough money behind me to make massive blockbusters without even having to look, even without even having to look for finance, financial no, input and investors. Um, literally out of, out of, I'd say those over 2 million fans, um, maybe about, oh gosh, what, 100,000 paid for it? Yeah. The rest of it was, best, rest of it was piracy. Yeah. And, and that's the problem. Piracy destroys the indie film business. It destroys it. It's, it's just kind of weird when you think shame. about it. It used to be back in the day, there was a lot less piracy, but there was a lot more people to tell you no. Now we have almost no one who can tell you no, but we have a great deal of piracy. Exactly. So, as I say, a lot of an awful lot of people enjoyed the film, but not a lot of people paid for it. <laughs> Simple as that. And again, I think it's just I, just, I don't know. It's this. I, I mean, obviously, I've had some people like you always see reviews and critical reviews, and people like especially people that don't get the idea of indie films, you know, that they, they want blockbusters, they want studio formula, they want, you know, they want the big special effects, everything. And it's like, you know, uh, some hilarious, I mean, but, the, but, but on the other flip side as well, I've, I've literally had, I think it's about 
oh, I've lost count now. So many people use the films for music videos, obviously without any, <laughs> without asking permission. <laughs> but it's like, well, hey, so what? It's, it's getting seen. It's got out there. You know, it, it opened the door for me. I would never have met Brian. So at least it served its purpose. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I'm thankful for that. <laughs> well, Jason, David, thank you so much for uh, talking to us about your films. It is now time. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. It is well. We'll see about the pleasure after you're subjected to Andrew's five big questions. Ooh, here we go. <laughs> These are questions that, when answered right off the top of your head, will lay bare your soul and let the audience know: Hey, does this guy know what he's talking about? Should we check out these amazing vampire movies? So, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> I don't know the pressure. Nice, okay. Question number one. What is your most treasured possession? That's easy. Um, I actually have not got it on me at the moment because it actually snapped. But uh, I have a ring that I never usually go anywhere without. Um, And it's very old. It's about 260 years old. And it was given to me by one of my teachers. at a very young age. So that is my most treasured possession as in a possession. But if you want to talk in general, my husband. So there you go. There you go. Question number two. If you could live anywhere in the world and I'll even give you any time. Oh, time. Right. Where, when would you live? Um, Oh, I'd have to say, well, it's a throw on me now because you said time because that splits me. But um, no, no, I'd have to go somewhere modern because I still want to make movies. Um, so, um, <laughs> San Francisco. <clears throat> I'm in love with the place. Yeah. It's a lovely place, especially if you've got the do re mi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Question number three What movie character in all of cinema? Would you do you most identify with uh, Doctor Strange? Interesting. All right. Why? Obviously, the background is a witch, basically. So there you go. I say. All right. Question number four: What word or phrase drives you crazy? I'm tired. <laughs> what is it about people nowadays that use the idea of being tired like it's an illness? Ooh. I hate it. I hate it. You slap yourself around the face and you keep going. <laughs> there you go. All right. Now some bonus questions. Uh, yes. What to you is a perfect breakfast? Traditional English, uh, bacon, sausage, egg, uh, beans, fried, toast. There you go. And all onions, always got to be onions. And the onions have to be nearly burnt. So there you go. Wow. All right. Another bonus question. If you came back after dying and you had 24 hours left on earth, what would you do? Yeah. I would spend it with my husband. Water skiing? 
Uh, no, not once again. No, I, I, I just try to do as much as I could cram in possible with my husband. Simple as that. If he was, if he was still alive, <laughs> you know, right. if he, I had gone first. <clears throat> and question five, and of course, question five, double points. Here double we go. Points. Ireland, funny yes. or not funny? Funny. Only because my whole family, my whole family's Irish, so, <laughs> uh, so uh, my dad's got the most amazing Irish accent. It's because he's from Southern Ireland, and he's got the most gorgeous. But he's so funny. And the thing is, even with the Irish, when things get bad, and I think I get this, I get this influence um, through myself from my mum and my dad. Because my mum's half Irish, and my dad's full Irish. Um, is even when the going gets tough, I will always find something humorous. And that's the Irish humor. And, 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 and it's like being able to tell a story as well, because you've got the Irish blarney. So it's, uh, you know, being able to tell a story. So I've probably got a massive influence from Ireland. Yeah, tremendous. Especially as well, because literally the Irish are steeped in mythology and everything. You know, and all the stories I got told as a kid were like my uncles allegedly played football with the leprechauns and things like that. <laughs> it's amazing. So there's lots of there's lots of joy. There's lots of happiness from Ireland. Yeah. So for me, funny. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Jason David. Thank you. Well, hope to have you back on again when you finally have uh, Witchword coming out and hitting the cinemas. It would be a pleasure. Thank you. It's, it's been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. That was my interview with writer-director Jason Davitt. Subscribe to this bloody business and join me as we go behind the scenes for more tantalizing tales of horror filmmaking. Until next time, I'm Andrew Johnson Schmidt, and that's a wrap. (laughs) 